Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, I had the real privilege of getting to talk to Dr. Joseph Okello, professor of philosophy of Christian religion on in Orlando. Dr. Okello graduated from the University of Kentucky with an MA and PhD, both in philosophy. He also holds an MA and MDiv from Asbury Theological Seminary, as well as a bachelor's in theology from Scott Theological College in Kenya. He is originally from Kenya and has been in the United States since 1996. He has authored seven books and is currently working on four more. In today's conversation, we talk about his calling, how he came to know Jesus and became a pastor and professor. And we also talk about the relationship between ethics, philosophy, and Christianity, and how we can find Jesus in the wilderness moment. You won't want to miss this episode. Let's listen. Dr. Okello, I'm delighted to get to talk to you today. It's it's always a privilege to get to talk to some of Asbury's very own professors. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. So I know you're on the Florida campus and site down in Orlando. So the weather is probably a lot different down there than it is up here. Yeah, the sun is shining brightly out there as I speak. Uh, I'm in a cold room. I wish I was outside, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad all the technology can't transition to outside, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I want to give people the opportunity to get to know you as a professor, know your work, but also get to know you as a as a person a little bit too. Correct, yeah. Um, yeah. And so how did you experience your call to ministry or maybe a better way to put that is how did you come to know Jesus? Because I don't presume that both happened at the same time, but maybe they did. Yeah, well, I knew Jesus. I met Christ way back in 1982 when I was a freshman in high school. And our high school experience at that time was basically four years of what they called secondary school as opposed to primary school. And then after secondary school, after four years of secondary school, we would have two years of high school. So, but all that was considered high school for one reason or another. And when I was in my first year of high school, is when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Discipleship wasn't the best um, thing that happened to me. I wasn't really well discipled. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically a matter of uh, winging it on my own, winging it on my own, and trying to get my footing. Mm-hmm. But we did what we could under the circumstances. We did the uh, four things that they normally tell you to do, to pray, read your Bible, fellowship, witness. Those are the kinds of things I was doing. But I really was not grounded in the faith until 19, I believe it was 1988, when I came face to face with uh, a missionary from Portland, Oregon, after my high school, because I completed high school in 1987. And when I was back at home waiting to go to the university or to college, uh, I came face to face with this uh, missionary who was posted to my local church. Um, And he's the one who discipled me into getting a little more open to the possibility of uh, being in a minister of the gospel. So we prayed quite a bit and... um, Finally, I felt, you know, maybe this is the one thing I want to do. And so I enrolled in uh, a Bible school in Kenya, or at least applied. Mm -hmm. And when I applied, finances is always a problem to pay your way to Bible college or high school or whatever has always been a challenge for any ordinary Kenyan who Mm -hmm. uh, lives an ordinary life. So that was a major problem for me. And when I went there on the first day of school, I met with the (laughs) principal of that school at that time, and I told him I didn't have enough money to begin my semester's education. He took the check and uh, basically took some money from the account of the school, and he gave me 
the money and he said, go back home and get the rest of the fees. This is going to be your transport. I did not think that was very Christian, but I got into the public means of transportation because that's the mode of transportation back in Kenya and mm -hmm. uh, took the whole day back home. And when my father saw me, he was devastated. So for two weeks, I was not really two, yeah, two weeks. I was just sitting there wondering, so what's my next step until I got into a lot of praying and fasting about this. And on my day four of fasting, I told God, God, this doesn't seem to be working out. Mm -hmm. um, what, what is going on here? And God seemed to ask me the question, well, why do you want to go to Bible school anyway? And I said, I want the degree. And he says, that's the problem. You are going there because of the credentials. You're not going there because you've even responded to the call. You just thought it was a good idea, but you did not respond to the call. Now, it's not like I was having a conversation with God, hearing his voice uh -huh. and so forth, but it was just the reflection and the impression was so strong in me that this was God communicating this idea to me. So at that moment, I confessed and I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is the direction I took. It, I did not really respond to the call. And so finally, after confessing and praying, and I told God, God, if this is really, really, really you, today is Friday. Oh, no, no, today is Thursday. Uh, I'm giving you until Saturday. If by <laughs> 5 p.m. I don't see any assurance of financial provision, uh, then I'll assume you're not calling me to ministry. Okay. And uh, I waited that. I completed my fast. I felt I had the breakthrough I was looking for. And I remember that Saturday, I woke up in the morning and I said, God, remember, 5 p.m., 5 p.m., 5 p.m., 5 p.m. And then by noon, nothing seemed to be happening. So I told God, God, it doesn't look like this is going to work out, but maybe you've sent me something in the mail. So I went to our local post office box, and uh, I wanted to see if there was anything in the mail that said, we have a check for you to pay for your Bible college education. I went and opened that mailbox, and what I found was a water bill. Oh, so I said, okay, this is, this is an insult upon injury here. And then but hey, wait a minute, uh, the missionary that had counseled me into Bible school education was actually was actually out of town, and he seems to have returned. So I decided to take a walk to his house. It was a walking distance of about a mile and a half. So I walked all the way right up to where this missionary lived, and he looks at me, and he says, Joseph, what are you still doing here? You're supposed to be in Bible school. Look, get ready. On Monday... I am taking you back to school. Don't worry about the funds. I will take care of it. And wow. I looked at my watch. It was 4.59. Not a minute too soon. Yep, yep. He, he's never too late. He's never too early. He doesn't come at the 11th hour. He comes right on time. So, wow. and, and that's how I responded to the call because there's a difference between being attracted to the call and actually saying, yes, God. Okay. This is something I want to do. Say more about that, because I think maybe a lot of people are like you were and are attracted and trying to follow. Yeah. How do we move from the attraction to saying yes? Yeah. Um, you, you, if you feel that you are having that attraction, it is important that you have that conversation with God and tell God, God, if you're calling me. I am ready to respond. I want to hear your voice. Tell me in some way, usually, and I think the best way is through his word. Because I remember that day, after I had made the yes response to God. Now, I'm not the kind of person who opens the Bible randomly. In fact, those of my colleagues who are listening to this will probably... Uh, uh, They'll probably have a fit when I say this, uh, because you're supposed to do the observation, interpretation, application, those kinds of stuff, and you, you study the Bible systematically. But on this day, I was not even trained in biblical uh, studies or inductive Bible study. As soon as I responded to that call, I just opened the Bible at random, and my finger fell on Philippians 2, verse 14. Mm-hmm. 
which says it is him who makes you to respond, for it is God who works in you to act and respond according to his divine purpose. To me, that was a direct speech from God. It was like God was saying, yes, this is what uh, I want you to do. So what I'm saying here is this, listen to the voice of God as you read scripture. And once you get the impression that God is calling, just say yes. Mm-hmm. It helps to zero in or at least to to name the date when you did respond mm-hmm. to the to the to the Christian message. The more you run away, the more that call will will pursue you. And so it is either you respond now or you respond later. And I think the sooner you respond to it, the better. Yes, for sure. Uh, because I ran away from this call for a while. And and God never let he never let go of me. He just really? he just kept on getting a hold of me, and I realized. But I wasn't too old at that time. I was only about twenty three years old, I believe, when I finally responded to that call. But I felt the call when I was in, when I was about nineteen. Okay. Uh, so I decided, you know, I better do it now rather than later. Okay. Sometimes I think it takes some discernment to know that you're yeah. being called. I mean. Because sometimes, do you think you were actually running or just needed time to fully understand what you were being asked to do? Well, I was running away. I did not like the pastoral ministry because pastors were poor people in my home country, Uh uh, at least in the setting in which I came uh, grew mm-hmm. up. They did not seem to be the kind of people that would take care of their families well. They they did not seem to be the kind of people who are paid well. And I said, no, I don't want that lifestyle. I don't mm-hmm. want it. Uh, so I know that I was running away from that call. Um, yeah. uh, I knew that it was placed on me. And in fact, my my Christian leaders in high school kept on telling me, if God is calling you, you need to respond. You need to respond. And I'm like, why don't you guys respond? If you really think God is calling me, what about you guys? I mean, it's supposed <laughs> to be calling you too. So I knew I was running away from okay. God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what a pivotal mama of faith that you had, realizing that God was not only calling you, was going to provide when you said yes. As you look back on your on your journey so far, how does that mama influence you as you think about God's faithfulness? Well, the surprising thing is, had I not responded to the call, I would not have been I would not be at Asbury. I just really? wouldn't. And um, I know where I would have been. I was planning to be to, to serve and work at Barclays Bank in one of the cities in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And I know that I did the interview. I know that I passed the interview. It was just two, two subjects that I was uh, tested on. I was tested on my math skills and I was tested on my English skills. And I knew I had nailed all the questions. I knew mm-hmm. I had nailed all the answers to the questions, both in math and in English, and I counter-checked, double-checked, and I, I knew that I got mm-hmm. 100% in all of them, and I still failed. Wow. So I knew that this, this had to be God, uh, and I blamed him for failing, but God seemed to be having better plans for me, and I'm glad today yes. that I failed those interviews or that interview. I just failed, and I, I had no explanation why. Uh-huh. But looking back, uh, I knew that God's faithfulness can sometimes show up in failure. Really? When you fail something, it's not that God is denying you everything mm-hmm. in life. It's just that he's preparing you for something better. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case in every situation. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that in some instances... When you experience a certain type of failure, God is preparing you for something better. Think of the case of Joseph. I mean, he was thrown in a cistern, and that seemed to be the epitome of failure. And then he was sold as a slave. But that was just a demonstration of God's faithfulness to the dream he had revealed to Joseph. Or you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
when they were thrown in the fiery furnace, it looked like God abandoned them, but he was right there with them in the fiery furnace. It was a demonstration of his faithfulness. Uh, Or Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, Sometimes in our lives, if indeed we are committed to who God is and what he does for us, those moments of failures are really faithfulness in disguise. That's so interesting. And I guess it just takes continuing to be faithful to God to realize Correct. what kind of what kind of failure that that is. Yeah, yeah. And I say that I say that uh, because quite frankly I don't like going through those times and no. so I'm not saying that those moments are past and gone they're behind me. They're uh, I I've still I've experienced them even now with my wife having to battle cancer. Mm-hmm. Um it's still a demonstration of God's faithfulness, even through those battles. Mm-hmm. So I still see it. I still see him at work. Mm-hmm. So um, God's faithfulness will be powerfully underscored in the lives of those who remain committed to him, even in moments of apparent failures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate those words very much. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it comes from some, not a lifetime of learning, but just that experience with with the world and how it is and how God has uh, designed it. Yeah. So you went to Bible college because of yeah. God's provision. Mm-hmm. And then what, what happened? What happened next? Well, I studied theology for four years, and it was rigorous in the sense that they were teaching us as if that was the only education we would ever get for ministry. Okay. So we were exposed to all sorts of Bible uh, Bible studying and uh, theological training, including, oh my goodness, including uh, 16 credit hours of Greek exegesis, 16 credit oh. hours uh, well, 16 credit hours of Greek grammar, 16 credit hours of Greek exegesis. We got to a point, I no longer have it as much as I did then, we got to a point where we could read the Greek New Testament uh, almost as fluently as we could read the Bible in our native languages. Wow. We got to that point. Um, but again, uh, when you don't use it, you lose it. <laughs> so, For sure. Uh, we did that and then... Uh, after that, I pastored a church in uh, Nairobi as an assistant pastor, but I was really the youth pastor um, for two years. And uh, it was a 3,000-member church that worshipped in a wooden barn. The walls were made of wood. If you know of how the horse barns in Kentucky look like, yes. especially as you're driving into Wilmore from Lexington and how they look like and how this, that's how the sanctuary looked like. In fact, a portion of that sanctuary is still uh, uh, there today. It's still there. In fact, the whole building, not just a portion mm-hmm. of it, it's still mm-hmm. there today. I was pastoring there, and then they, when they knew that I was feeling the urge to further my studies at Asbury, they stepped in and raised, this was in 1996, $6,000 at that time wow. to fund my education. And, and Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thankfully at Asbury, I'd received what they call an international student scholarship, which took care of my tuition. So they took care of my room and board, and I came to Asbury as a student in 1996. And uh, I studied in Asbury. I got the MDiv from Asbury. And those times, they were also offering the uh, MA in church music. Okay. So I got the MA in church music as well. Oh, what a... What yeah, an interesting theory. <laughs> yeah, because I knew what I wanted to do back home. I knew that okay. I needed the musical skills to help with the music in my church, but I also needed the uh, theological skills to continue with the, the theological uh-huh. ministry there. Uh-huh. So after my studying at Asbury, completed it, I went back to Kenya uh, to, to minister back to that same church and had a powerful ministry there. And uh, But before I left, one of my professors here at Asbury, he's now gone, he's at Houston Baptist University, he challenged me to pursue a PhD in philosophy. Mm -hmm. 
And I said, I don't want to do that. I just want to <laughs> go back home. He said, no, 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 Joseph, your mind, you'll be wasting your mind if you don't get a PhD in philosophy. You need to do it. Wow. So I applied to different schools and all those Christian schools that I applied to either turned me down or could not give me a scholarship. And so he said, why not try the University of Kentucky? Yeah, so, go cats. <laughs> uh, yeah, I applied uh, to the uh, philosophy program at the University of Kentucky, and they they admitted me, which, which took me by surprise. They admitted me. And uh, when they admitted me, uh, when they gave me the admission, it was full everything, full tuition, full room and board, teaching assistantship. Uh, but the, admi- the letter came when I was in Kenya. Uh, I had gone to Kenya. I wasn't really planning on coming back. So when they when they sent me that letter, I was like, "Oh, looks like I'm going back to the United States." So uh, August of 2021. No, 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 no. August of 2020. Yeah, I get my dates mixed up. August <laughs> of 2020. Yeah, August of 2021. I flew back to the United States and started my studies at the University of Kentucky for PhD in philosophy. And I completed that in 2007. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So 2001 then. Mm-hmm. It was 2001. Oh, okay. You were saying 2021 and I was like, oh, oh wow. No, that's- not 2021. I'm sorry. 2001. 2001. <laughs> and I uh, completed in 2007. Yeah. My mind is racing right now as I'm talking to you. Because You're totally I'm- fine. I was, I was thinking, <laughs> wow, that was a really fast PhD. Well, oh, <laughs> well uh, that, uh, that would be phenomenal if someone did <laughs> it in, 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 that, in such a short time. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I'm hearing in your story, in addition to the, because I'm hearing again about kind of the perceived failure mm-hmm. as you applied to different schools mm-hmm. and the ones you thought would be the right answer, none of them accepted you. None of them. None of them, which I find so interesting. Yeah, and the, the Christian schools, because yes. I thought that they would uh, uh, admit me with uh, open arms. And they said, sorry, you really don't fit our, our style here. So, and the, the, and the ones that admitted me uh, would not offer me the scholarships. Mm-hmm. So I said, I don't know that God has opened that door. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and you know, when you're when you're looking at that issue of scholarships from an African perspective, we don't have a lot of money to be mm-hmm. able to pay th- someone through uh, a PhD program. So to me, having a scholarship was what I thought would be God's way of showing me that I He needed yeah, me. The to confirmation. Yeah. So He confirms it in a totally secular school, mm. and that's yeah. where I went. Yeah. Yeah. How do you? How does God speak to you? Is that how God speaks to you normally, just by opening, closing doors? Like, how do you know that this is the way you should go? After a, time, after a considerable time of prayer and asking God and telling God what I want, then I wait to see how things unfold. How they unfold to me is how I, I interpret God to be working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, God has spoken to me through Scripture at least three different times. It gave me no doubt whatsoever that He was uh, communicating to me at least three times, uh, one of them being that time that I that he appointed me, that it's God who wills and works in you. It's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Uh, in Philippians, I believe it's 2, 2.13 or 2.14. I don't mm-hmm, quite mm-hmm. remember exactly that passage. And then uh, uh, there are instances where I have, uh, now this may sound a little spooky, but in an African setting, it is perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. Because in Africa, we are, very, we are very open, a little more open to the supernatural than in the United States. Mm-hmm. I have actually felt a physical nudge from God to get up and go pray. Really? Yes, uh, that happened as recently as 2020, April of 2020. When I was telling God, God, I need to be strong enough. I need you to help me to get up and pray in the morning. And I prayed that prayer for like about four months. And this was at night because I normally have my devotions at night. Mm -hmm. 
And then it's like God was saying, okay, you've asked for it. So <laughs> I felt a nudge on my right shoulder as I was asleep. Wow. And I got up and looked to see if my wife did it. She was still asleep. I looked around to see if my son, my 10-year-old son, he was nine at that time. Well, uh, he was eight at that time. To see if he's the one who was trying to get me up because he needed something. Nothing. There was no indication that he was anywhere near. And then a strong impression in my heart, go pray. So I said, God, you win. So I got up (laughs) and walked to my prayer closet, which is our laundry room. (laughs) And I normally joke when I share this and I say, on on one side, my clothes are washed away in the laundry room. On the other side, my sins are washed Mm. away in the laundry room. But yes, I experienced a little bit of of the varieties uh, in which God speaks to his people through the world through circumstances and directly to me. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the times. The other two times, I have actually literally, literally, and I'm telling you this without kidding, I've literally heard his voice, and it was a voice of rebuke. Mm-hmm. And this was way back in high school when I was about 17 years of age. I remember that as clearly as if it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. when God said, I am the Lord your God, and I'm asking you to pull up your socks in terms of your morning prayers. You need to be a little more, um, you need to be a little more determined to, intentional, that's the word. You need to be a little more intentional in getting up to go and pray in the morning. And he said, your, your evening prayers are great, but your morning prayers <laughs> your are morning wonderful. Prayers. So please get up and go pray. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. And uh, I, I was in tears. But rebellious me, I did not quite get up. I, I'm not a morning person. Mm, and I just did not, could not get up to go pray that time. And uh, for one reason or another. But when I was in Bible college, I did that quite a bit. I would wake up at 3, pray from 3 until 6, and then go back to bed for an hour, and then get up and begin, uh, you know, the days uh, studying and reading and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So Mm. then you came to UK. How did you, and you had every intention to go back to Kenya. Correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did you then become a professor at Asbury Seminary? Oh, long story, but uh, this is what happened. Uh, When I was at UK, I was working on my dissertation, and in my dissertation, I was defending the, the, the doctrine of creation against the theory of evolution, and the panelists, at least three of them, were naturalists. Mm-hmm. One was and still is a Christian, and another one was and still is a Christian, I believe. Um, the naturalists obviously disagreed with my conclusions, but they passed me unanimously. They said, we disagree with you, but you have put your arguments in such a watertight way that, you know, the premises logically support Mm -hmm. your conclusion. Mm -hmm. And that's all we need. So they passed me unanimously. Now, my wife was still in school. She was trying to complete her bachelor's degree, which she did. And she also was trying to complete her master's at Eastern Kentucky University. Okay. And uh, she was wrestling with it. Um, You know, Asbury Seminary knew that I was wrestling with my... PhD, and I had quite a number of professors who knew me, and they said, hey, while you're still waiting for your wife to complete your education, come and teach for us. Wow. So, uh, and, and, and I was teaching on a part-time basis. Okay. So I taught uh, on the Wilmore campus, and I would also fly down to the Orlando campus to teach. And then uh, while still waiting, I was named the visiting assistant professor on the Kentucky campus, um, and I, I was, I, I did that for three years, wow. and then the philosophy professor on the Wilmore campus left, and so they said, "Well, we need you here," 
to fill that position as an mm-hmm. assistant professor. At that time, Leslie Andrews was the provost, Dr. Leslie Andrews. Mm-hmm. She invited me along with Dr. Ellsworth Cullis, who was the, the president at mm-hmm. that time. And then as I was completing my, uh, my gig, <laughs> to <laughs> lack of a better term, as a visiting assistant professor, the Orlando campus uh, had a position open up for an ethics professor okay. and a philosophy professor at the same time. So I was invited to interview for that position, uh, and I submitted my applications. Uh-huh. So and another open door. Yeah, yeah. So I submitted my application and was uh, I passed the interview and I was appointed as the visiting professor now. No, not visiting, but as the assistant professor of philosophy and ethics uh-huh. on the Orlando campus. And that was in 2011. Wow. Well, That's we're very that glad that that invitation happened and that yeah. you chose to accept it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um forever grateful, forever grateful. At that yeah. time, Dr. Tim Tennant had become the uh, president of Asbury Seminary. Definitely. Yeah. So I'm sure you're, the classes that you teach kind mm-hmm. of rotate around, but or maybe they don't. But kind of what classes, what are the themes of your classes? Well, I mostly teach philosophy of religion, but I also teach ethics, Christian ethics. Uh, in fact, I teach Christian ethics on this campus okay. in Orlando. And then uh, more recently, I've been teaching contemporary theology and basic Christian doctrine. So yeah, I've taught those three in, oh. in so my area is in, is in philosophy. Okay, that's my area of study. But okay. uh, I've branched out into theology because I do have an M. Dave. I do have a <laughs> theology. and then I wrestled with the doctrine of creation for my PhD. Yes. So philosophy of religion came in quite handy. At yes. That time. For sure. I want to talk more about philosophy and ethics, but I'm also curious about what contemporary theology is. Well, contemporary theology is, uh, for lack of a better way of expressing it, is to look at how the uh, basic aspects of Christian doctrine have received variant interpretations by contemporary theologians. Mm-hmm. such as Wolfhard Pannenberg, such as Karl Barth, such as Paul Tillich. Um, those guys are big names in theological circles. And even, even uh, African theologians such as John S. Mbiti, you look at how they look, for example, at the doctrine of revelation, the doctrine of uh, uh, the virgin birth, uh, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of salvation, eschatology. Each of them present a different understanding, a varied understanding, or a slightly variant, uh, varied understanding from the normal way in which we look at theology. So, for example, you and I would say the Bible is the Word of God. Karl Barth would come along and say, no, the Bible becomes the Word of God when it speaks to you. Ah, Okay. uh So, you look at those different uh, interpretations of theology and you say, okay, let us see how this thinker deals with it, as opposed to, say, how Augustine dealt with it. Okay. Why is it so important to understand how a variety of thinkers uh, look at theology and deal with Scripture? Well, because some of them have kind of deviated from the standard understanding. Uh And uh, when they deviate from that standard understanding, you want to be sure that what they say does not derail your understanding. Uh It's important to know that. Um, What's his name? Uh, uh, Wolfert Pannenberg, for for example, uh, does not nec- did not necessarily believe in the virgin birth, but he really did believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you look at that and you say, okay, uh, uh, I believe in the virgin birth, so his failure to believe in that, what does it mean for me? Um, and how should I uh, deal with it? So contemporary theology uh, looks at all those, oh, most of them, not all of them, mm-hmm. But it looks at those thinkers and see, and it tries to uh, point out the areas that may be different or sometimes remain radically different uh, 
from from what we understand it. Paul Tillich, for example, says God does not exist because when you say God exists, you are limiting him. God is beyond existence. And you're like, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why is it so important in our everyday lives to have a rooted understanding of theology? Oh, well, I, I think the answer to that question is obvious. If your theology is messed up and your ecclesiology is messed up and your Christology is messed up, uh, then you are going to be leading people in the wrong way. Scripture reminds us that we teachers of the word will be judged with more strictness uh, because we have been entrusted with the uh, truths of the faith, and it is important for us to sustain those truths with accuracy. Um, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Galatians, comes with an even stricter warning. He says, if anyone teaches a gospel other than the one we proclaimed to you, let him be eternally condemned. Mm. Now, that's scary. That is scary. That is very, very scary. So, uh, I want to be careful. Uh, as a teacher of the gospel, that I present it in the best accuracy possible. Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So you are your one of your primary focuses, as we've already said, is philosophy and yes. ethics. What is the relationship between those two things and the Christian faith? Oh my goodness, it's there's a lot of uh, there's a strong relationship in mm -hmm. all of them, um, but. Let me first of all point out that we teach Christian ethics here in at Asbury Seminary uh, from a sociolo sociological perspective and not from a philosophical perspective. Okay, but what, is, take, what is the difference, a sociological versus a philosophical? Well, the, let's begin with the uh, let's begin with a philosophical perspective. Ethics is philosophy. Mm -hmm. And philosophy is ethics. It's Various thinkers have wrestled with it, beginning with Plato, who, who said, uh, ethics comes from reason, and the highest good is the good itself. And you go to Aristotle, who says, ethics comes from reason, but the highest good is uh, happiness. And then you go to people like Epicurus, who says, no, it doesn't really come from reason. Ethics comes from pleasure, and the highest good is ataraxia. Or you go to Epictetus, who was a Stoic. He says, no, 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 ethics doesn't come from pleasure, from reason. It comes from the will, from the human will, and the highest good is self-discipline. And Augustine comes into the scene and says, no, 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 ethics comes from God, and the highest good is eternal life in heaven. Or you think of someone like Thomas Aquinas, who believes that ethics comes from reason, like Aristotle, but then this reason is the one that has been endowed upon us by God, and the highest good is contemplation of God. And then you go to people like Hobbes, who says, no, 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 ethics is based on self-interest, and the highest good is that we should have a commonwealth that puts us together so that we would yield our rights to this commonwealth and, and, and provided that once we've yielded our rights to this commonwealth, uh, it will uh, everybody else is willing to do so, and then it promotes peace. And then you have John Stuart Mill, who says ethics comes from pleasure, the highest good is pleasure. You have Immanuel Kant, who says ethics comes from reason, the highest good is the goodwill. And then you have Karl Marx, who says, no, 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 you guys are all wrong. Ethics is really ideological. It is a means of the haves to maintain the status quo of class distinctions between the haves and the have-nots. That is from a sociological, no, from a philosophical perspective, okay. uh, because you are looking at it from the point of view of how um, these philosophers understood the good life to be. Friedrich Nietzsche asked the question, what, is, what if what we believe to be good today is really bad and what we believe to be evil today was really good? 
He thinks that we Christians have twisted the values, but that's not the way it was in the original Greek setting. So you have all these philosophical thinkers that coming uh, that come at it. Now you're looking at it from the sociological perspective. You're looking at the question of community. How do we build? How do we build a coherent Christian community in our ethics lifestyle mm-hmm. as a people? of the book as people who get their marching orders from the Bible. So it is from that sociological perspective that we look at it and we build our Christian ethics from Scripture. We build our Christian ethics from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Otherwise, it would cease to be Christian. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as a community of believers, how do we live our lives in a way that promotes the goals for which Christ placed upon us uh, while he was here on earth and fundamentally through the Great Commission. Uh, what is it What is it that we ought to do in order mm-hmm. to cultivate the Christian community, mm-hmm. in order to cultivate the Christian culture? Mm-hmm. So we are not approaching it anymore from a sociological, I mean, from a philosophical perspective, but all we are we are approaching it from a sociological perspective, and but they do have points of intersection. There's mm-hmm. no question about that. They do have points of intersection. But I can tell you that when I was studying ethics in the University of Kentucky, our comprehensive exams were basically on two fronts. One on what is called metaphysics and epistemology. But on the second front, it was it's what was called value theory, namely ethics. Okay. So ethics is fundamentally philosophical, but at okay. Asbury we don't teach it from a philosophical uh-huh. perspective. Yeah. Yeah, but with all, I think I read once that we make I don't know thirty some thousand decisions a day. So it's important mm-hmm. to know the ethics behind or the why. Yes, it behind is. What it, we it do. is, and there are three fundamental. Fundamentally, there are three broad ways in which we make ethical decisions. Mm -hmm. We make them deontologically. In other words, we ask ourselves, what is our rule? What are our rules? What, What rules do we subscribe to? What is our duty? What are the principles behind the decisions that we are going to make? What rule are we obeying? Obviously, it's the biblical law for us as Christians. We ask ourselves, what sorts of consequences will follow when I make this decision? So that is called consequentialism. Uh, What sorts of consequences will follow when I make this decision? So it is, in a certain sense, results-based. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then there's uh, another one, which is also teleological. The question is, what kind of person am I supposed to be? Mm. Uh, What sorts of character am I supposed to to engender or uh, inculcate in my life. So you have those three ways in which we make ethical decisions, deontologically, consequentially, and virtue ethically. And those play themselves in and within our communities. what resonates with me, even though it may be quite relativistic, is the virtue ethics perspective. Because I come from Africa, and Africans believe it takes a village to raise a child, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it is the village that helps to cultivate the right virtues. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's the belief. But then the question is then, you go further than that and ask, what is that? What are those virtues fundamentally anchored in? That's uh, that's how far we go. We ask ourselves, do we just look at what humans arbitrarily decide as the good, or is that good anchored in something bigger than itself? Oh, that's interesting. Those are the kinds of questions we wrestle with from an African perspective. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we wrestle with those in, in many ways, but yeah. So they find intersections. They do intersect, whether it's ethics or, uh, or, or, or philosophy. Now, look at it this way. Ethics is uh, fundamentally about good 
and for that matter, evil. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with good and evil, for the, you have to deal with a standard that helps you decide what is good and what is evil. But when you immediately posit the question of a standard or the question of a law, you now ask yourself, who is the lawgiver? Oh, yeah. It is in that sense that ethics and theology are linked. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. At least that's how I see it anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. So you've written seven books uh, mm-hmm. with with two that we want to be sure to talk about today is Wilderness, Wilderness Moments, How to Live Victoriously Through Them mm-hmm. and Evil and Pain. Mm-hmm. And you've told me that you're currently working on four more books. <laughs> yes. Uh, I am working on... Uh, the one I'm working on is The Hiddenness of God, which is complete. It's just sitting in my computer here. And then the other one that I'm working on is called uh, A Theocentric Account of Truth. Hmm. The third one that I'm working on uh, is called The Alithic Ontological Argument for the Existence of God. And the fourth one is The Philosophy of John Wesley. Oh, wow. So a wide variety of topics yeah, yeah. in, your, in so, your current and future writings. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm working on those four. And I don't know when I'll have them completed, but that's what I'm wrestling with right yeah. now. Yeah. Wow. That is interesting also. I'm curious about, because both your books, the ones that I just mentioned, Wilderness Moments and mm-hmm. Evil and Pain, mm-hmm. seem to kind of deal with maybe some of the failure topics that we talked about earlier in the podcast? Well, evil and pain, and I think I misled you earlier on when I told you that the books I've given you are all on the popular level. Evil and pain is uh, on on the academic level. Okay, okay. And I'm trying to address what I think is a misconception of uh, evil within... Uh, materialistic, by materialistic, I'm talking about naturalists who do not believe that humans have a soul. So I'm trying to deal with the account, uh, a misconception of evil amongst those materialistic naturalists because they reduce evil to pain. Okay. And they seem, especially the utilitarians, they seem to equate evil and pain. Now, I'm, I'm arguing that evil is actually a different category of quote-unquote thing, if it is a thing, mm-hmm. from pain. Because there are some pains that could be good for you. Mm-hmm. And there are some pleasures that are bad for you. Mm-hmm. So when you equate evil and pain, you are making a mistake there. It's different. And for that reason, I conclude that the problem of evil is really very different from the problem of pain. Interesting. That is my conclusion. Yeah. Uh, the problem of pain is of a different variety than the problem of evil. Uh, if we get very strict with our terminology. Mm-hmm. That, but that's the nature of that book. The other one, Wilderness Moments, is based on Deuteronomy 8, beginning at verse 2, stopping at verse 5, uh, where I used to be able to quote it verbatim, so I'll try it. And if I get stuck, please forgive me. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you through the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you to see whether you would, to see what was in your heart whether you would obey his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then to teach you that man shall not live by bread alone. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your parents had known, to teach you that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothes did did not wear out, your feet did not swell. Know then that as the Lord your God uh, disciplines, uh, as your as a father disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. I got a fuzzy brain there for a moment. There. 
Uh, I just haven't had my coffee for today. Oh yes, so, yes. But that's 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 how it runs. Uh -huh. And uh, in that book, I detail various instances of wilderness wildernesses mm -hmm. that we all go through, and a major one that I highlight especially was my wife's bout with cancer. Mm -hmm. I was writing that book or working on uh, on the American edition in the infusion center mm -hmm. with my wife lying there receiving the cocktail of chemotherapy. And I'm sitting on the side typing that book. Mm -hmm. Very, very difficult time for my wife, obviously, uh, for me as well. And I just felt like I was in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. I was in the wilderness because if you remember, when the nation of Israel was uh, walking out of Egypt and they passed through the Red Sea, at the end of it, uh, at the end of, uh, after crossing the Red Sea, the Bible makes a very interesting statement. I believe it's in the book of Exodus 13. Um, I may be mistaken about my scripture there. If you go toward the end of 13, God makes an interesting comment. The Bible says that God decided not to have them pass through the shorter route into the promised land mm -hmm. because they would face adversity and be discouraged and want to go back to Egypt. So he decided to take them through a longer route through the wilderness. Now, I understand from Bible geography, and if you've been to the Holy Land, you'll probably know this, that the distance from that edge of the Red Sea to the Promised Land, if you walked determining in a determined way all the way up to that place, it would probably take you 8 to maybe 15 days if you just kept going. Wow. But God took them through a route that got them into the promised land after 40 years. Yeah. And so I asked myself, wow, why would God do that? The yeah, answer, for real. Yeah, the answer is found in Deuteronomy 8. He wanted to humble them. He wanted to test them. He wanted to teach them. And he wanted to tame them. And that took 40 years. Wow. So I'm sitting there in the infusion center asking God, God, I know you can heal my wife directly, uh -huh. but you've decided to take her through the route of chemotherapy. So what lesson in humility are you teaching me here? I mean, what is it about me that you are humbling? And you're teaching me, obviously, but you're also testing me mm -hmm. not to reveal to you what is in my heart, but to reveal to me what is in my heart, because you know already what is in my heart. And where am I, where am I in need of being disciplined? Because you've said, as a father disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So each chapter in that book is an, is an explication of what it is to be humbled by God when you're going through the wilderness. Chapter 1. Chapter 2 is an explication of what it is to be tested by God when you're going through the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Chapter 3 is an explication of what it is to be taught by God when you're going through the wilderness. And chapter 4, really sections, not chapters, but sections. Mm -hmm. uh, section 4. Four is an explication of what it means to be tamed, or for that matter, mm -hmm. disciplined by God when you go through the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now the the wilderness isn't isn't fun at all, and I don't think I, I like Never any of those. Been. Never I yeah, yeah. Any of those experiences, I'm like, I can. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to avoid that? Mm -hmm. But as I'm thinking about the Israelites' experience in the wilderness, mm -hmm. I'm also 
I think about the hardship, but I think about the manna and mm -hmm. the provision exactly. of water and the, mm -hmm. I'm forgetting the other things, the pillar mm -hmm. of fire, like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the guidance Correct. and all of that too. And, you know, it's interesting how one thing we must never forget is this. Uh, God was with them every step of the way in the wilderness. And as I was sitting there in the infusion center, it's like God was reminding, with, he was reminding me, hey, son, I'm with you through this. I am walking with you through this, just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, just like he sent an angel to Daniel in the lion's den. And just like he showed up when Job needed him to show up in the book of Job, he is with you, he's with me, he's with us in the midst of our pains and sorrows and hurts in, in our wilderness. Mm -hmm. So I do make that point mm -hmm. in the book. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, well, we're we're out of time. So, um, before I ask you the one question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast, is there anything else you'd like to mention that I didn't know to ask you? Well, uh, no. I think you've you've pretty <laughs> much covered all the bases. I think, and all I can say is uh, thank you for. And uh, allowing me and inviting me to do this, uh, I just never know what to say during a podcast unless I'm asked the right questions. <laughs> I would never do my own podcast. <laughs> so thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for saying yes. And I really love getting to hear portions of people's stories. I consider a real gift that people are willing to share them with me so that we can share it with a wider audience. So Amen. thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you so much. Thank you. Yes. So the one question we ask everyone is, uh, because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Oh, without question, it's my moment with God. Without question. If I did not have that, I would be completely unarmed in my teaching. Daniel prayed three times a day, and because of his praying three times a day, God gave him the wisdom that surpassed everybody in his time. And I believe that if I have to have any wisdom in my class lectures for my students, I have to pray before the Lord. I have to go before him on my knees and ask for that wisdom every day. I pray for it, not just praying for it, so as to teach, but even for my ministry every Sunday when I'm preaching, I ask for that wisdom. And uh, without it, I would be totally unarmed. I would be completely impotent. I asked for wisdom when I was defending my dissertation because I knew that without that, I would not pass that that yeah. uh, that test. Yeah. So the the one thing that I believe makes me thrive is when God comes to my rescue after I have prayed and I never, I make sure, I try to make sure that I have my two times of prayer in the evening and 3 a.m. in the morning uh, with the Lord. Uh, and it can take an hour, it can take two hours, it can take half an hour. It depends on how the Lord wants to engage me. And the other thing that I do, I don't even know that I should mention this because Jesus says it's supposed to be a secret. <laughs> so, uh, but I try to, uh, I, I have my Fridays where I abstain from all sorts of foods. I fast and I just have water just to make sure that everything that's coming that weekend and the following week is uh, already already surrendered to the Lord. I, I I guard those times very religiously. Yes. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today. Thank I you. Have so enjoyed our conversation. Amen. God bless you so much. Thank you. 
Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Joseph Okello. Isn't he a gift, you guys? I hope you enjoyed our time together as much as I did. And if you see Dr. Okello, be sure to tell him thanks for being on the podcast today. As always, you can follow Asbury Seminary in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.